glory and honor be to you, our God and our King, who is worthy in every way of our worship. We exalt and praise you. Lord, you have come again this morning and walked through our midst and announced that you are the one who is compassionate and gracious, slow to get angry, abounding in love, faithful to your promises, and loving all of your creatures everywhere. Lord, you have satisfied us with your love, and yet we long for more of it. You have brought us home into your love, and yet we seek it. Lord, you have satisfied our souls with your love, and yet we hunger for it. As we open your word, and and as we open our hearts, we pray that you would use this morning to establish us more deeply than ever before in the knowledge, in the confidence and certainty of your love for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King, who makes your love known. Together, God's people said. Well, it's fitting in the week that we celebrate Valentine's Day that we find ourselves in the middle of a series when we're focusing on the love of God for us. So here are some famous lines of love that people have spoken to others. Let me see if you can identify or guess who spoke them. The first one, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach. But you know who that was? Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Some of you got that. Very impressive. How about this one? Everything I do, I do it for you. Musician Barry Adams, anybody recognize that song? All right. In all the world, there's no love for you like mine. That's the poet Maya Angelou. This one's kind of a surprise. You are life itself to me. When you are gone, I'm waiting for you to return so I can start living again. That was President Ronald Reagan to his wife, Nancy. I know, isn't that something? Loved you yesterday, love you still, always have, always will. That's the actress Elaine Davis. Some of you will recognize this one. In vain have I struggled. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. Mr. Darcy. <laughs> Mr. Darcy, for you Jane Austen fans from Pride and Prejudice. And how about this one? You are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. Isaiah chapter 45, 43, God to us, his people, you are precious in my sight and honored because I love you. The greatest lover of all, expressing the greatest love there is. Happy Valentine's Day. Before I jump into the passage that we're focusing on today that will take us deeper in our understanding and experience of what the love of God for us is like. Let me just step back for a moment, look at the map on the wall with you, and see if we can find the arrow that says, you are here. At the start of the year, we began a new adventure that we believe that God was leading us into, which is the adventure of learning together as a church family what it would mean for us to have love be the thing that was truer of us, our love be the thing that's true of us than anything else about us. But it's clear to us, even as we 
um, started into this, before we even begin to talk about how we can love others more effectively or more faithfully, that we have to stop and spend some time remembering the way that we are loved by God, how deeply we are loved, and letting God's love for us define us and shape us more and more. If we lose sight of how we are loved by God first, then all of our efforts to love, no matter how well-meaning they are, they just won't last because they'll be mustered up out of our own strength. But if we can find ourselves rooted and established in the love of God for us first, then our love for others will be the outpouring and the overflowing of what we ourselves have experienced. And that sort of love will make a lasting difference in our interactions with others. So we're beginning the year by focusing on the Apostle Paul's prayer that we find in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, in which Paul prays that the church would be empowered by God to enter into and then to understand and then to experience the love of God for them. If you don't already have one, or if you had one once and it's lost its way around you, uh, we have bookmarks that have uh, this, this prayer from Ephesians chapter 3 printed out. There may be some in the pews, and I know we have some at the connection desk and the reception desk. Make sure you've got one and that you are uh, using that, because we're asking everybody in the congregation to pray that prayer every day for the whole church, to commit it to memory, and to talk about it when God brings us together. So the verse starts off, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So what is it that Paul asks of God? Why does he throw himself before God on behalf of this church? Well, what we noticed is that the prayer that he prays has three different requests, three petitions, and they kind of join together in a logical sequence. Here's the first one beginning in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What we said as we explored that passage is we don't have to guess what God's love is like. The love of God isn't some vague philosophical idea. It's not some fleeting come and go feeling that we have. The love of God was personalized, and it was particularized in the person of Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we look the love of God in the face. We cannot understand or enter into the love of God apart from Jesus. In his life, Jesus made the love of God tangible for us. In his death, Jesus made the love of God available to us, purchasing our forgiveness and reconciling us to God. But that's not all. When we open up our hearts to Jesus and we put our trust in him, then this prayer that Paul prays reminds us that the risen Lord Jesus makes the love of God real for us. He comes and he dwells in our hearts and he lives his life of love through us and in us from the inside. Two weeks ago, we started looking at Paul's second request, which is found beginning in verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, would have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We'll be finishing looking at that second request today. And then starting next Sunday, we're going to start in on the third petition, which is found in verse 19, which is that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we might be measured or filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
So it's one thing for us to know about God's love, but it's another thing, and in a lot of ways, a more difficult thing for us to experience it in personal and life-changing ways. So beginning next Sunday, we're going to start sort of a series within a series. We're going to approach this as a really practical sort of Sunday morning workshop, and it will be on the barriers, addressing some of the specific barriers that block us from knowing and experiencing the love of God for us. And we think you'll find this really practical and encouraging and potentially life-changing. All right, so with that overview of where we've been and where we're going, let's look again at the verses that we're looking at uh, today. Verses 17 and 18, and I'm just going to turn those into a prayer for us now. Lord, you have been gracious to root and establish us in your love for us through Christ by having him take up residence within our hearts And we pray now that by your spirit, you would give us power together with others who know you and love you and follow you, that you would give us power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love you have for us in Christ. So just a couple things for us to notice about this part of Paul's prayer. He says, I pray that you may have power to grasp the love of Christ. When Paul prays, for us to be able to grasp the boundless dimension of God's love, he is using a really vigorous word. This word was used to describe defeating a strong opponent or conquering a heavily defended fortress. It means finally having it in your, in your hands after a costly effort. I think of the story that my dad told me of his capturing Schomburg Castle with his unit as a ranger in Germany during World War II breaching the doors, advancing from room to room, clearing out the web and maze of tunnels that, that were beneath it, rounding up the, the enemy, and then securing the perimeter to the castle. It wasn't theirs, they fought for it, and then it was theirs. That's the picture Paul wants us to have of grasping the love of God for us. God's love is different than anything we have ever experienced before, and we have to work hard to understand it. That's why Paul prays that God would give us his strength and his power to do that. It isn't something we just kind of look over or something we just kind of check out. We seek to go after it. We grasp it. We seek to lay hold of it and to let it lay hold of us. So Lord, as, as you give us your strength and power to help us grasp your love, move us to apply what strength and power we have to this same thing, not to be passive, but to go after it and to lay hold of it. All right, then Paul goes on, he says, I pray that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Wide, long, high, and deep. Let me share two different thoughts about how the Bible uses this sort of directional language to talk about God's love. First, the Bible lands, as some of you already know, and as some of you are about to discover, we've got a contingency going to Israel very shortly. I love that for you guys. The Bible lands are broad and they are open with very few trees and very long views. There's a a ridge of sky-high hills that runs north-south through the middle, and the lands are bordered on one side by an endless desert, and on the other side by a bottomless sea. And they are crowned, these lands, with with deep, high blue skies for more than half of the year. 
So everything in every direction stretches for miles. So it was a very natural thing and a very familiar thing for the biblical writers to express the greatness of God's attributes by comparing them to their experience of being in this vast world of theirs. To describe aspects of God as being something that was horizon to horizon wide, something that was sun, moon, and stars high, something that was sea bottom deep, something that was cross the desert for days long. For example, Job chapter 11, verses 7 to 9. Can you fathom, and literally that means, can you get to the bottom of, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths of the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. Psalm 36, 103, 108, Isaiah 55 are other familiar examples of the ways that the wide, long, high, and deep dimensions are used to, to try to help us grasp God's various attributes. So here in Ephesians chapter 3, as Paul talks about these various dimensions of the love of God, he's really just saying essentially the same thing with each of these four phrases. The love of God is endless the love of God is boundless. The love of God is limitless. And oh, by the way, the love of God is bottomless. There's just no coming to the end of it. And we hear that. I mean, that's powerful and that's moving. But I want to come at this, this uh, sort of directional way of describing the love of God in a little bit of a different way that I think will make this not just powerful, but also something really personal and significant and relevant for each of us. This is something that God opened my eyes to this week as I was uh, reflecting on this passage, praying this passage, studying it. And reflecting on these four dimensions, I began to realize that in the Bible, each of these four dimensions, wide, long, high, and deep, is associated with a specific part of the struggle that we have as fallen human beings trying to, to live out our difficult lives in a fallen world. So let me just walk you through each of these. And I think that you'll find that this makes this passage suddenly very relevant to each of our circumstances. And what I'd like you to do, if you would please, just grab something to write with and pull out your sermon notes and jot down these four basic ideas because I think they'll be important as we go on into the rest of the service. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of God for us? So first of all, in the Bible... Width is often associated with wandering off the path, veering to the left or to the right instead of staying in the narrow, God-ordained right way. Think, for instance, of these verses, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 14. Don't turn aside from any of the commands that I give you to the, today. Not to the right, not to the left, following other gods or serving them. Jeremiah 31, 22, to God's people he says, how long will you go here and there, O faithless daughter? And then Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Are there places in your own life where you have wandered away from God's best? Are there places where you've lost your way and you need God's love to come and find you and rescue you? and bring you home. 
God, help us to grasp how wide your love is, even wider than our widest wanderings. However wide our wandering, Lord, your love is wider still. Come and find us and lead us home into your loving embrace. Length is often associated in the Bible with suffering, with losses or struggles or hardships, or any other difficult circumstance for which there seems to be no end in sight that we somehow simply need to endure. Think, for example, of Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Are there places in your own life where your pain seems beyond enduring? Where it just seems that there will be no end to your struggle and your suffering in this life? Are there places of loss and sadness where you need the love of God to come and to meet you and to lay hold of you and to take you by the hand and to see you through? God, help us to grasp how long your love is, even longer than our longest path of suffering. However long our suffering, Lord, your love is longer still. Come and see us through to the other side and bring us out into a place of peace. The Bible often uses height to get at the attitude in us, you could say the altitude in us, of independence from and resistance to God. Height describes the walls that we build to resist God and the towers that we build to elevate ourselves to a place of equality with God. Think, for example, of these verses, Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 52, the Lord will lay siege to all the cities until the high fortified walls in which you trusted come down. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 22, whom have you been defying and ridiculing? Against whom did you raise your voice? At whom did you look with such haughty eyes? It was the Holy One of Israel. Are there places where you have become independent from God? Or have risen up against God and resisted him rather than bowing down before him and opening your heart to him? Are you following aspirations and ambitions that are about elevating yourself rather than about elevating God? Are there places where you need God and his love to tear down the walls that you've raised and to pull down the towers that you've built so that he can be lifted up? God, help us to grasp how high your love is, even higher than our pride and independence. However high our self-importance and our self-reliance, Lord, your love is higher still. So come, overcome our petty pride and draw us into joyful surrender to your loving rule. And finally, when the Bible uses the imagery of depth, it often does so to describe the sort of depth of inner darkness that comes when we feel depressed or anxious or when we feel overwhelmed by guilt or shame or fear. Think, for instance, of walking through the deep valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23 or of going down to the dark depths in Psalm 139 or of being caught in the slimy pit in Psalm 40. This same idea of being pulled down into the depths of despair comes through in Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. 
I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Are you in a place where you feel like you are sinking into depression or anxiety? Are you being swallowed up by shame or guilt? Do you find yourself held in the grip of fear or pulled down into despair? God, help us to grasp how deep your love is, deep enough to reach down and lay hold of us and draw us up out of the deep waters and set our feet on solid ground. However deep our darkness, Lord, our love, your love is deeper still. Come, lay hold of us, lift us up, and gather us into your sheltering arms. We pray, Lord, that you would give us power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us. So how do we experience this? Can't get my arms around it. Boundless, limitless love of God for us. How does this love become really tangible and real? Like the waters of the four upper Great Lakes, Lake Superior and Michigan and Huron and Erie, that all narrow down to a single river channel and plunge as one over the Niagara Falls. By his grace and condescension, God allowed his limitless love to narrow down and course through a single human being who brings that love within reach of all of us. Love wider than wide, longer than long, higher than high, deeper than deep, thrid through the narrows of a man whose span was no wider than outstretched hands. First John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Someone once said, I asked God, how much do you love me? And Jesus said, this much. And then he stretched out his arms and died. Sometimes we can get the impression that God's love is hesitant or begrudging. The father compelled the son to lay down his life. The son conceded to the father and gave up his life. But that is a completely flawed understanding of the heart of God and of a love that is wider and longer and higher and deeper than we can ever begin to imagine. In conjunction with this sermon series for the past couple of months, I've been doing a bunch of reading in some of the Christian devotional classics, including Julian of Norwich's Revelations of Divine Love, which she wrote in about 1350. It's a book of reflections that Julian wrote about a series of visions that she had of Jesus and of his death on the cross. And Julian captures the utterly unhesitating love that God has for us in really powerful ways. Here's one example, a conversation that she has with Jesus after she witnesses his sacrificial death on the cross. Our good Lord Jesus Christ asked me, are you well pleased that I suffered for you? I said, oh yes, my good Lord, oh, thank you. And then Jesus, our kind Lord said, if you are pleased, I am pleased. It is a joy, a delight, and an endless happiness to me 
that I ever endured suffering for you. How should I not do all I can for love of you? Is that how you think of God's heart towards you? You are precious in my sight and honored because I love you, says God. She goes on and says, with these words, he brought to mind the nature of a glad giver. A glad giver pays little attention to the thing that he's giving, but his whole desire and intention is to please and comfort the one to whom he gives it. And if the receiver values the gift highly and takes it gratefully, then the generous giver thinks nothing of all of his hardship and the price that he had to pay because of the joy and the delight that he feels at having pleased and comforted the one he loves. And this was shown to me to be what the love of God was like. Lord, we pray, give us the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us in Christ. We're going to use the remainder of our service this morning to have some unhurried time to reflect on God's boundless love for us and to open our hearts up more fully to it. There are four dimensions to what we're going to do next, so let me just take a a few minutes of pastor explaining of what's going to be going on so that you all can be at ease in that time and not have to be thinking about it. The first element of this time that we're going to enter into now is reflection. So for the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to give you quiet just to think about and pray about the love of God for you, specifically that God would empower you, that he would empower us to experience his love for us more deeply. Feel free to go whatever direction the Spirit leads you during that time of reflection, but if you'd like a suggestion about how to use the time, here are two ideas. First of all, there are Bibles in your seats, in your pews. The book of Psalms is right in the very middle of the Bible. The Psalms are just like sung prayers. And there's one of them that makes really, really rich use and kind of unexpected use of this wide, long, high, and deep love language, and that is Psalm 107. It's a great one to read if you are a follower of Christ, and it's a great one to read if you're not, if you're somebody who is a seeker and exploring who God is. It's a collection of four tales of people who are running from God and coming to the end of themselves and then finding that God has been running after them in loving pursuit of them the entire time. These tales describe the wide wandering, the deep gloom, the high-minded resistance, and the long struggles from which God rescues these individuals. And I think if you read Psalm 107, you may find your own story there. Or you could spend some time reading and reflecting on George Herbert's most famous of all of his poems, which is printed for you on the sermon notes section of your bulletin. It's an imaginary conversation between us and Jesus, and it's all about our struggle to accept God's boundless love for us. During the reflection time, the worship team is going to be leading us in some quiet worship songs. Feel free to participate in those if you find that meaningful. The second element, response cards. Each of you uh, have received this morning, here's mine, uh, in your bulletin, a card that looks like this. I want to encourage you to pull that out now. We hope that you'll use this reflection time to pray about what's written on this card and then write a response to it. Pick one line or several or all of them And fill them in. Be as specific as you can about the struggles that you face. If you can affirm that the love of God is wider and longer and higher, deeper than some of the specific struggles in your life, then then find the page that says that, the side that says that, and, and fill those struggles in. 
Or if you find that you have more questions than confidence about whether God's love is wider than the way that you are wandering, or longer than the way you're suffering, or higher than the way you're resisting, or deeper than the way you're despairing, then use the other side and, and write those there. Even for those of us who are followers of Christ, we can probably all think of things to write on both sides of this card, as it says in Mark's Gospel, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. The third element is prayer. If, as you are reflecting on God great, God's great love for you, if you realize that it'd be helpful to have someone to pray for you for anything, for, for depression or doubts or to give your life to Christ or to open your life more fully to God's love, or if you would just like to have someone that you could talk with about a struggle that you have or a spiritual question that you have, we will have church leaders available during this, uh, the next 20 minutes, some in the back of the chapel and some in the back of the sanctuary. They'll have lanyards on so you, and name tags. You can identify who they are, and they would be available to either talk with you or to pray with you. If something is stirring in you, please don't wait and don't leave this morning without having a chance to be prayed for or to have a conversation. The final element is communion. During this time of reflection, we'll have communion stations set up all around the sanctuary. We'll have three set up up front, one over here in front of the chapel, two in the back of the sanctuary, and then we'll have one more roving team. And if you uh, think it might be challenging to navigate your way through the sanctuary and would prefer to stay seated, do that and just raise your hand and we'll bring the communion elements to you eventually. So for communion this morning, we're going to ask you, as implied, to leave your seats and to come to these stations, and you can go to whichever, whichever station you want to. And just to simplify things a little bit, we're gonna ask that if you're in the center aisle that you would use that to come this direction to go forward and use the side aisles to go back. So if you wanna to come to a station up front, go into the center aisle and then go back by the sides of your seat. Or if you wanna go back to the back, go out to the side aisle and take communion and then come back through the center. When you go up for communion, make sure that you have a name tag so that you can be blessed by name. And if you're comfortable sharing what you wrote, bring your card with you. And when you get to the station, just put that card in the basket. These cards are all anonymous. We have, will have no idea whose is whose, but we will gladly pray for you this week as we look at those cards. After you put your card in the basket, then there will be trays with individual pieces of bread and individual cups of juice. Out of sensitivity for the fact that we're in the middle of flu season, we're not going to do this uh, with a common loaf and a common cup. So take a piece of bread, take a cup, and go back to your seat and continue your reflection and your worship. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, we are really glad that you're here. This is a safe place for you to explore the questions you have about spiritual things and about Christianity. And we want this to be meaningful for you, too. So here are just a few options you could think about. You could stay in your seat and reflect on God's place in your life and maybe read Psalm 107 and then fill out that card and just leave it in the pew rack at the end of the service if you're comfortable doing that. Or you could go to one of our prayer stations in the back of the chapel or the back of the sanctuary and talk with someone or pray with someone about something that is on your heart. Feel free to give them your card if you want to do that, if you're comfortable. Or you could actually come to one of our communion stations and just put your card in the basket, tell them you don't plan to take communion, but that you would just like to be blessed and the team of people serving communion will just bless you by name. This is gonna be a little bit messy. That is just fine, that's okay. The point isn't the logistics. We don't have to worry about the other people in the room during this time. It's just what God is doing with us in our own hearts. So you are invited to come to a station whenever you are ready to do that. So let me lead us now into this time of reflection and communion.
On the very last night that Jesus spent with his disciples, they shared together a meal, and Jesus used the elements of that meal as a symbol to anticipate the death that he was going to die for them the very next day. He took the bread at the start of the meal, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this, remembering me. And at the end of that same meal, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Drink this, remembering me. Ministering in his name, I invite you to come and to take part in this feast together. So enter into this time of silent reflection. Enter more deeply into the love of God for you.